Radio. The Holy Spirit gives life to the church. A talk by Archbishop Julian Porteous at the Immaculata Mission School 2017, held at the Launceston Church Grammar School in Tasmania. To uh, speak to you this evening on the Holy Spirit, but this is kind of Holy Spirit number two. Uh, the first reflection we had on the Holy Spirit uh, this afternoon was talking about the Holy Spirit as the love of God, love of God, poured God into our hearts. That's right. So we looked at the Holy Spirit as the love of God that's poured into our hearts, which is a beautiful concept, like God breathing his love into us through the Holy Spirit. So tonight I'm going to reflect on the Holy Spirit from another perspective. Um, and the text that I've been asked to speak about is uh, the text from uh, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verse 8. Now who knows what that is? Who can tell me? I'll begin with a, a first word. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, where? Ends of the earth. Now, where are the ends of the earth? Tasmania. There's only Antarctica left. There's only penguins further south than here. So we're at the ends of the earth. So we're fulfilling that command. But that, um, that text, now maybe for some more than for others, certainly for me, has another very deep resonance, a very deep significance. Anybody tell me what that was? That text, it was associated with a very special and significant event in Australia. World Youth Day 2008. Who was at World Youth Day in 2008? Fantastic, fantastic. Have fantastic memories. I still do. I still, whenever I hear that text, I immediately, my mind immediately goes to Sydney and goes to that extraordinary event. I, I personally, I was fairly involved with it because I was a, an auxiliary bishop in Sydney, Archbishop, uh, now Archbishop Anthony Fisher, uh, Bishop Anthony Fisher at the time, was given responsibility for, uh, for the World Youth Day and I worked very closely with him. I had a number of responsibilities uh, in connection with uh, staging of the World Youth Day in 2008. So certainly it has a very strong memory for me, but, but more, more particularly... It's what I think happened. I see the World Youth Day in Sydney in 2008. It's been like a watershed in the life of the church here in Australia because I think suddenly people, young people in particular, but priests and bishops and lay people across Australia were absolutely astounded at the event, but the fact that this event 
was able to so galvanise and inflame and inspire young people. Now, certainly, we have the advantage of young people coming from all over the world, coming and bringing their living faith uh, to us. But it kind of was like a fire, wasn't it? It sort of leapt out into the lives of so many uh, young people across this nation and really changed a whole understanding of the fact that the church's mission, the church's message could resonate deeply in the lives of young people. And this was something I think that many people were so surprised. There's no doubt there's an extraordinary grace connected with the World Youth Days. And we owe the World Youth Days to one man who's now a saint. You know, do you know the story of the first World Youth Day? The Pope just had this idea. He said, I want to bring young people together to meet with me on Palm Sunday. It was 1984. I want the young people to come. And a lot of the uh, people said, oh, no, that, you know, it won't work, you know, you, you won't, it won't happen, you yeah. know. He said, no, we're going to do it. So I just sent out a message to say to the young people, I want you to meet with me in St Peter's Square in Rome on Palm Sunday. 300,000 turned up. And everybody was amazed. What Pope John Paul did was say to young people, I believe in you. And young people sensed that. He wasn't so much saying, this is what you've got to do, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, and I expect you to be better than you are. None of that. He just said, young people, I believe in you. I have great hope and confidence in you. And he deeply believed that young people wanted to live the fullness of the Christian life. They didn't want a counterfeit. They didn't want some shallow expression of it. They wanted the real deal. They wanted the whole meaning of Christianity. And that's why they came, because they knew that was what he was offering, what he continues to be offered through the World Youth Days. It's the full message of the gospel. It's the richness and fullness of living the Christian life in the Catholic Church. You know, on that first World Youth Day Sunday and Palm Sunday in 1984, Pope did another extraordinary thing. And they came together. He presented them with a cross, not unlike this one presented them with this cross. He, he took it and I said, young people, I'm giving you this cross. He presented it to them. And he said this, my dear young people, at the conclusion of the holy year, I entrust to you the sign of this jubilee year, the cross of Christ. Carry it throughout the world 
as a symbol of Christ's love for humanity and announce to everyone that only in the death and resurrection of Christ can we find salvation and redemption. You hear what he's done there? He said, you young people, I want you to take nothing less than the cross of Christ. I want you to take it throughout the world and announce it's in and through the cross of Christ where the love of God is displayed in its ultimate, that there there will be found redemption and salvation. So ever since, the cross has been carried around the world in all sorts of extraordinary places. You might remember the passage of the World Youth Day Cross through Australia when we had it leading up to the World Youth Day and it's continued to travel the world. I can let you in a little secret here because I've been was involved with it, organising some of the events in Sydney and what I discovered was that the cross was starting to show some wear and tear. <laughs> and I, I think probably now uh, they've had to replace the, the span because something happened somewhere, it got cracked and broken, they replaced it. So the, the cross now is probably about the fourth version or fifth version of the original cross, but it's still the cross, still the cross, the World Youth Day cross that's been taken around the world and been in so many extraordinary places. But the thing is that the Pope said to the young people, I entrust you. With the cross, and he had complete confidence the young people would take the cross as they have done and carried it to remarkable places right across the world. The um, first World Youth Day that was held overseas was away from away from Rome was held in South America, in Buenos Aires in 1987. And again, it's just good to hear what the Pope was saying to young people. They, they gathered, there's an enormous gathering of young people in Buenos Aires in one of the main thoroughfares of Buenos Aires. And he said there, to all of you, I say, let yourselves be embraced by the mystery of the Son of Man, the mystery of Christ who died and rose again, let yourselves be embraced by the Paschal mystery and let this mystery penetrate the depths of your being, your lives, your consciousness, your feelings, your heart, so that it will give the truest meaning to your conduct. Once again, the Pope could speak to young people with absolute boldness and with absolute confidence and say to them, Receive the mystery of Christ and let it penetrate the very depths of your being. And they heard this. They heard this. They knew that this Pope was speaking to them profound truths about the nature of human life, about the nature of the way in which life is to be lived here. And he could speak it in such a way that they received it and responded to it. Just one more example. This is in the year 2000. Uh, the World Youth Day was held in Rome to mark the, uh, the significance of that year. And the Pope said, Dear friends, to believe in Jesus today, to follow Jesus as Peter, Thomas and the first apostles and witnesses did, demands of us 
just as it did in the past, that we take a stand for him, almost the point at times of a new martyrdom, the martyrdom of those who today as yesterday are called to go against the tide in order to follow the divine master, to follow the lamb wherever he goes. Again, the Pope can make these extraordinary challenges to young people. Be prepared to be martyred for what you believe. But this wasn't a message that sort of just struck terror in people's hearts or the young people sort of backed away in, in anxiety. They said, I can't do that, I couldn't do that. It had the, other, the opposite effect. It drew them because what Pope, what Pope John Paul was saying was something they, that rang as authentic, as true, and as something that he himself was living and he himself deeply believed. He had this amazing capacity, didn't he? To, to speak, particularly young people, and they responded. It stirred their hearts. The youth of the world found in this man, their Pope, John Paul II, a remarkable leader, a remarkable example, a great inspiration. And so there emerged across the church as they responded in their millions, a new generation. A new generation of Catholics started to percolate up in the church right across the world. And they affectionately called themselves the JP2 generation. They were the ones who would cry out, JP2, we love you. JP2, we love you at the World Youth Days. Because they're saying, what you're saying, what you're witnessing to, what you're about inspires me and I want to be the sort of Christian, the sort of Catholic that you are describing and presenting. And I know that what you're saying is authentic. And I know what you're saying is a path to life. And I know that what you're saying will show me the way to live my life, my human life. And so there was a generation that rose up in those years and continues to rise up. And there are millions of young Catholics across the world who today would proudly say, I am a JP2 generation Catholic. That was the extraordinary influence <clears throat> that this man had. And we are the beneficiaries now. What is going on, what continues to, to go on in the church today, owes so much to his leadership, his preaching, and the inspiration that he has brought to the lives of millions of Catholics. And so they still continue to come to the days that he developed in the church, who went to Krakow. We went to his city. We visited where he grew up. And he lives, his spirit lives on. And we had that wonderful opportunity of linking in with 
Divine mercy with Chester Hover and those other places that were so dear to his own heart and were the, were the things that formed and, and fashioned his own spirit and his own faith. It lives on. The World Youth Day lives on. And young people will gather in their millions because there is a grace with the World Youth Day. It's not just a great gathering. It's not just a vibe of an event. There's a grace there. And that grace, I believe, has one origin, one source, and that is in John Paul II. And I believe he would still be interceding before the Lord for every World Youth Day and said, let the grace that I have seen unleashed into the lives of young people across the world continue as the World Youth Days continue. And so we are the beneficiaries of this. People say it. I believe it's true. I think history will confirm it. We have been privileged to live in the era of John Paul the Great. Amen? Amen. And as you know, each World Youth Day, a theme is chosen for the day. And so when we had the World Youth Day in Sydney, the theme that was chosen was the text that we began with from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. To me, it's a wonderful theme to have for the World Youth Day because I believed it was so significant. Simply to say that for young people who embrace Christ, there will be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in power. And the young people who are touched by that power of the Holy Spirit will rise up as witnesses to the very ends of the earth, even in Tasmania. <laughs> and everywhere else that you came from. You'll be witnesses. In other words, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit is not just a personal blessing, not that we can get comfortable with that blessing and say, thank you very much, God, I've got this warm and fuzzy feeling inside and I just want to keep it inside and feel warm and fuzzy. Because that's where I think you've got to hear that, that last part, the Lord's saying, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit upon you so that you will be witnesses, so that you'll take what you've received and be instruments of sharing with others and bringing it into the lives of others. So tonight let's um, look a little bit more closely at this wonderful Holy Spirit. Let's just see, perhaps a little bit more clearly, reflect a little bit more on the nature of the Holy Spirit, his presence in us, and the way he does, in fact, become that transforming power to our lives, to our faith. You know, I think that what has happened in our time the realisation, if you like, of these words is so significant and so important. 
You know, I often wonder why, why is it that there's been in our time in the, in the last 50 years particularly a focus on the Holy Spirit as in a way there wasn't quite, the Holy Spirit was not so much the focus in the past. Pope Paul VI who had a beautiful appreciation of the Holy Spirit and spoke magnificently of it on a number of occasions, particularly at the end of his great document on evangelization, Evangelunciandi. And he just makes this simple comment. He says, we are living in a privileged moment of the Holy Spirit. Now, we shouldn't take that for granted. We shouldn't gloss over that too quickly. Hear it again. We are living in a privileged moment of the Holy Spirit. Now, Holy Spirit's always been there. always been active in the church. I'll talk about it a little bit later. But in, in a way, there's been an outpouring, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our time, and it continues in our time. Because I think God is acting in a sovereign and very focused way in releasing the power of the Holy Spirit in his church. Because at this moment, the church desperately needs the power of the Holy Spirit, the manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit. You live in the world. You know what's going on around you. I don't have to tell you, as I was saying the other day, there is out there, very sadly, in a, in a country like Australia, there's very sadly now a growing spiritual desert. You know, you know that you are a, a, just a, a small minority of people who really do believe, who really do want to, to follow Christ, who do want to live a spiritual life. You know your friends, your acquaintances, the whole environment in which you live is completely antithetical to that. It's the opposite. And there are powers at work now in the world which are unheard of because of the developments in technology and media, social media. So these things are all pervasive. So things before which were somehow around but we didn't really know much about them suddenly are just thrust in our face. We can't escape them. We can't listen to the music on the, on the radio without knowing that there are lyrics and there's songs which are demonic at times or simply corrupting of any sort of genuine Christian life. You can't go to the movies without seeing things that are offensive. You can't have language which is not offensive, not blasphemous. And through things like YouTube, suddenly there's access to, to all sorts of things which are pornographic. And of course, we have access to all sorts of things which are just corrupting of the spirit. And it's so hard to be able to be free from it because it's so pervasive. It's everywhere around us. We're surrounded by it. And it's hard, isn't it? It is hard to be a Christian. It's hard to live what you know to be true and right and good because constantly there is this temptation, there is this pressure put on you, there is this exposure to things which are corrupting of your spirit, corrupting of your morals. 
You can't avoid it. It's not as though it lives over there and you just sort of say, if I stay away from there, it'll be all right. We can't. It's everywhere. It pervades the entire environment in which we live. Yes? And it's so hard. But God has not deserted us. God has not left us to battle with these forces of destruction without unleashing his power, the power of his Holy Spirit in a sovereign way because he, he looks down on his children and he says, they're not going to make it. They're not going to make it. It's too hard. The powers of darkness are so intense but I'm not going to abandon them. I'm not going to let them just struggle as best they can, relying upon their own effort, their own willpower. I'm going to unleash my power with my spirit. I'm going to unleash the power of my spirit in such a way that their hearts will be so changed, so transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit that they will be able to be strengthened inwardly, strengthened in their faith, strengthened spiritually. They'll be drawn to prayer. They'll want to pray. And they will hear the Word of God, not just as words on a page, but words that penetrate the very depths of their hearts. And they will want to receive the words of life and they will want to live in the purity of the presence of God and they will want to grow strong. They will want to grow as Christians. They'll want to grow as true reflections of the life of my son. They will want to be my children, my sons and daughters and I will give them the power to do that. That's why. We are living in a privileged moment of the Holy Spirit because God will not abandon us. And as the darkness grows, so the light will shine. Yes, sadly, I think many people who say they're Catholic who basically identify themselves as members of the church are trying to find a way of being Christian, relying upon themselves. A lot of people say, don't they? They say, well, look, I haven't really killed anybody. I haven't robbed a bank. I haven't done anything really terrible. And somehow they think, oh, I'll just... I'll just live my life as best I can. I'll do, do the right thing, try to do the right thing. It doesn't work. We, we can't do it. And people, and what happens when, when people are trying to do it by themselves, trying to live just by their own efforts, there's a, there's a whole compromise that takes place. They lower their standards bit by bit. And so... Oh, you don't really have to go to Mass. You know, I can pray to God by myself. I don't need to go to confession. God understands and forgives me. Oh, look, those, yeah, I know those things in my relationships aren't really right, but look, we love each other. 
So all the time there is this compromise, this weakening taking place, and the standards drop bit by bit. And people go cold inside. That's why we need a fire. That's why we need a fire lit deep in our soul. Because we can't do it by ourselves. It's not about just having good ideals to say, look, I'll, uh, I'll do my best. It won't work. It won't work. What will work is letting the power of God take over in our lives. You know, there's a whole focus these days on the individual and there's all this idea about, you know, I need to, I want to develop myself, I want to have the best out of life, I want to achieve all these sorts of things. There's this whole focus on self-fulfillment and self-realisation and, and so on. But focusing on self is a way of end up, ending up closing in on oneself. We need a power from without, and that again is the power of God coming to us. So what about the Holy Spirit? You know, one of the things that's really uh, become clearer and clearer in my own mind and is a particular passage from John chapter 7 that really has been speaking to me very clearly in recent years is the intimate link between the cross of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it's, I think St. John captures it, captures it so strikingly. You know, he's the only one who tells the story of what happened to Jesus on the cross when the centurion came and pierced the heart of Jesus. He's the only one who tells that story because he was the only one who was there. You know, so he was there, he saw it. And what struck him was the fact that he saw the blood, the last drops of blood left the heart of Jesus. There was no blood left. The sacrifice was complete. But then water started to flow. And this really struck John. And as I was saying the other day, you know, John really ponders all these things. He reflects upon them. And in his gospel, there are these levels of meaning. He could see that the sacrifice released the life-giving waters of the Spirit. So the Spirit came as a direct result of the cross of Christ. Christ died to save us, redeem us, break that barrier that exists between ourselves and God. But it didn't stop there. It wasn't just the reconciliation because it released the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, the waters, the fresh waters of the Spirit flowed out. So what happened at Pentecost really was simply the outworking of what happened at Calvary. So we have to understand the link between that. In other words... The Holy Spirit was paid for, if you like, by Christ, by his death on the cross. 
we have the Holy Spirit in us because Christ made that ultimate sacrifice of himself and, if you like, released the power of salvation, the power of God's Holy Spirit. Spirit is a mysterious thing. And when we talk about the Spirit, we often use images because that's the best way we can explain. I often like to say we, never, we can't see the Holy Spirit, but we, but we use images to help us understand the nature of the Spirit. And so we've been singing a lot tonight, haven't we, about the Spirit of, of as fire, with all of that means. But also the Holy Spirit is spoken about as wind and breath. And I really like that because remember at Pentecost, just before the Holy Spirit came, it was the sound of wind filled the room. And that idea of the wind, I find very, a very attractive image for the Holy Spirit. Firstly, the wind is kind of mysterious, like it's pretty quiet, there's a little bit of a breeze now, but suddenly the wind can come unexpectedly, you know, it just blows. It can blow, as the Lord says, where it wills. It doesn't always come in the same location the same way. And you can't sort of um, capture the wind. You can't control the wind. What you can do is utilise the presence of the wind, like a yacht allowing the wind to, to move it forward. So, the, the, so one of the things about the Holy Spirit is you, you can never kind of contain the Spirit. You can never kind of uh, even anticipate how the Spirit will come. You know, just like the wind. You know, one day it's very calm, another day it can be very strong and windy. The Holy Spirit is like that. The Holy Spirit moves in kind of mysterious and unexpected ways. So it's always a bit of a surprise connect with the Holy Spirit. And certainly we can never control the Holy Spirit. There's no formula. So I can't say, okay, do A, B, C and D and you will have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. There's no formula. And that's a beautiful thing because the Holy Spirit is sovereign. And all we can do is desire the Holy Spirit. Or like the yachtsman, put up the sails to catch the Holy Spirit. So this idea of the, the Holy Spirit being mysterious like wind is to me a very attractive understanding of the nature of the Spirit. And the way you'll know when the Holy Spirit is blowing is the effects that the Holy Spirit has. Just as the Holy Spirit can blow a yacht and the yacht can be leaning over like all those boats racing down to Hobart for the city of Hobart. You know, they're catching the wind and racing ahead because, because they've been able to utilise the wind that's blowing. So that's what we do. We learn to utilise the wind as it blows. The other image that I like is found again in St John. It's on the, on the Easter evening when the Lord appeared to his disciples in the upper room. And St. John said he breathed on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. Breath. We had the other day a reference to that breath that was given to man in the, in the second account of the, of the creation. The Lord breathed life into the, the man. So it's like that's the Lord wants to do. He wants to breathe his life into us. This is the spiritual life. You know, that, that we have a soul and the Lord wants to breathe into that soul, breathe his life 
into our soul. So our soul lives. So our soul comes alive. You know, that's what you find, don't you, with the Holy Spirit. Your soul comes alive and you find yourself at once full of joy. You find yourself some kind of deep-seated peace you've never known before. You find your soul suddenly is full of, of a kind of a, a warmth of love, of compassion, of kindness. That you say, isn't from me. It's God's life in me. So St Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. These are not, if you like, things that we develop ourselves by our own effort. This is, this is the life of God in us. And we're just being changed. We just find ourselves more at peace. We just find ourselves with a greater joy. We just find ourselves wanting to love people who are normally unlovable because it's God's life in us. God has breathed into us. I often sort of say we're breathing. Every morning you get up, you don't say, oh, I better start breathing today, you know. We just breathe, don't we? And we take it for granted. We don't really think about it, except when we you know, have to run a marathon or uh, climb a big hill or a whole set of stairs. So we don't think about that. We don't think about our breathing. So I think often we don't appreciate the fact that the Spirit is in us. And the more that we open our hearts and our lives to the Holy Spirit, the more the breath, the life of God is moving in us and forming us and creating us. And maybe it takes somebody else to say, how come you're always so joyful now? How come you just seem to have a new kind of peace and respect for others or kindness or thoughtfulness? You say, oh, am I? And you realise it hasn't been because you've set out to, be, to do those things. It's that God's spirit has done that in you. God's spirit has transformed you because God's spirit is the very life of God himself and God wants us to be like God, to have the qualities of God himself. So God's spirit breathes in us. So wind and breath. There's one um, thought I'd like to offer you about the spirit. It's a phrase that goes back to um, Pope Paul VI, Blessed Paul VI. He spoke in one place about the spirit being the soul of the church. I just want to present that thought to you for a minute, the soul of the church. What is the church? Most people say, oh, it's a Vatican, you know, it's a big building, so it's all the organisations, all the structures, it's everything like that, you know. That's what the church is, a political organisation or a structure or whatever. You know what I think the church is? Saint Gemma Gogani, all these saints. This is a church. The church are the people whose lives have been transformed by the Holy Spirit and have grown in holiness. The church has a soul. 
And that soul, like every soul, is hidden. You don't see it. It doesn't make the front page of the newspapers. It doesn't get advertised on television. It doesn't get promoted in the media at all. The soul of the church are these remarkable people. The soul of the church are the saints. And that's where the church lives. That's where the church lives in its holiness. That's where the church is a deep and profound presence of God in the world. That's where the church becomes the instrument through these individuals of God's presence being manifest in the world and working in the world. It's hidden. It's not seen. It's not noticed. But it's powerful and real. The soul of the church are the saints. The soul of the church are those people who are letting the Holy Spirit take over their lives and shape them and form them, becoming living witnesses to Christ. And that's where the church lives. So the church lives in you. Lives in you because the Spirit lives in you. The church has a soul and that soul is each one of you in your life in the spirit. And you become radiant with the presence of Christ, radiant with the gifts of the spirit. And you become, often in ways you'll never know or never understand, means by which the grace of God flows out and touches others. Now hopefully at times it will be through bold preaching, by clear testimony and by works of evangelization. But the Spirit lives because God lives in the world in the hearts and souls of people who have given themselves over to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. You are the real church. You are where the church lives. You are where the church is a presence in the world and an influence in the world. So the more we grow in holiness, the more we grow close to Christ, the more the soul of the church is breathing and living and present in the world. Yeah, we need the structures. We need the organisation. We need hierarchies. We need bodies of teaching. We need all the works that the church does. But the soul of the church are those faithful souls who have allowed themselves to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that has always been what the Spirit has done in the church. One of the things I've, I've done over the years, I had an interest in the spiritual tradition of the church. I began, <clears throat> began off most of my life really reading about lives of saints and spiritual movements and all sorts of things. And what I realise is just simply that, that throughout the history of the church, particularly when the church was in trouble, particularly when there are forces and powers at work the church could not humanly deal with, which were beyond the capacity of the church to meet the needs of the moment, the Spirit moved. And there were spiritual movements in the church. There were saints being raised up. So God has been always at work in the church. And again, often the most surprising people in the most unexpected places. 
God's work would come forth and the church's life would be revitalised. The church is what it is because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in it. So, all we need to do, very simple, is to live a full life in the Spirit. Be saints. Be holy. Be men and women of prayer. Let the love of God take control of your heart and your life so fully that it manifests through all that you do. Simple, isn't it? (laughs) We can't do it. We'll never do it. But God can do it. And God will do it. God will do it in any soul that opens itself to the Holy Spirit. St. Paul said to Timothy, fan into a flame the spirit that was given you when the elders prayed over you. So in other words, fan into a flame the spirit that was given to you in your baptism. You've already got the spirit, but it's got to be fanned into a flame like you've got to get, not let the embers die down, but you've got to get the fire burning again. And we've got to do that. And tonight is an opportunity to do precisely that. You already have the Holy Spirit. And maybe you've, you've had times before where that spirit has been inflamed again, freshly in your heart and in your life. But we need it constantly. We need to constantly seek the flame just like any fire. You have to keep, keep it coming alive, keep it burning, getting the wind to move so it comes alive. That's what we're going to do tonight. As I'm going to say one final thing as a bishop. I need you. I need you to be men and women of faith. I need you to be true followers of Jesus Christ. I need you to live a life in the spirit so the church will live. So the church will live. That was Archbishop Julian Porteous with The Holy Spirit Gives Life to the Church. For more from the Immaculata Mission School, visit cradio.org.au.